Welcome to episode number 37 of Corner of Hunter and George. Sata Cameron is the solo epic bedroom musician in Peterborough, Nogojuanong, who performs under the titles People You Meet Outside of Bars and Piloting the Animal. Like a lot of us, this apocalyptic-like state of society has been difficult for her. It's difficult, as I can relate to, being left on your own. However, as I can also relate to, nothing can soothe your discomforts more than a kitty. Well, close, anyway. Something like that. Well, in this upcoming interview that you're going to hear, one of uh, a few I have upcoming for your December holiday treat, we discuss her music her possible upcoming plans, and overall how she is. Uh, She is a musical gem, a talent gem to celebrate for this city, and I hope if nothing else you get that out of this episode. You're you're surviving the storm okay so far? Yeah, pretty much. I had to uh, walk out to an appointment in it, and... um... Certainly nicer from to watch from inside than it was to be in. Yes, yes. It's almost kind of, yeah, dare I say, kind of scenic, actually, yes. at the moment. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, and I guess I was going to start off with, how have you been in generally in 2022? Um, it's It's been a, I know you've done stuff with piloting the animal, but uh, it's been a while since we've heard anything, I think, from people you meet outside of bars. But before we even get into music, just overall as a person, uh, just this year, how's how's it gone for you? Yeah, um, you know, it hasn't been awesome. Uh, (laughs) No, it hasn't been for most people. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think I'm still really struggling with like everything that changed during the like when the pandemic started, just, you know, as with everyone, pretty much all of life shifted. And I just don't really feel like I've gotten my feet underneath me at all. So it's been pretty hard. Of course, there's been some good stuff, but it does feel like it has been a pretty consistent year of uh, struggle, which Mm -hmm. is frustrating. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I mean, we'll get more into this later, but it's maybe kind of fitting instead of uh, people you meet outside of bars, it's brought out maybe kind of more of a, you, you did piloting the animal, which is a side of you. I'm taking it's a little more fearful a little more dark <laughs> even than yes is, yeah is that, is, that, is that an accurate thing to say yeah. yeah I think that's true and I think the other thing about piloting the animal is that it's a project that's much more focused on um improvisation and imperfection mm-hmm. and I think my focus has just been so shot this year the past couple years uh and my sense of time so fractured that um in order to create anything, I think I had to give myself permission to 
uh, create really badly, which I, I feel piloting the animal has more room for than people you meet outside of bars, which is funny because it's also a pretty like flawed, openly flawed project, but it just feels different in a way that one felt much more accessible this year than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I, also, I, I find each uh, song I listen to by Piloting Animal a, a bit of an experience because I, I don't really know ever what to know what will come up. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it takes things in different directions. Yeah. I've been thinking about uh, going off on medication i don't know your songs you've done before like let's say one example i i think this is going back maybe to even 2012 like a song like the world ends is is that something like those songs from like that period? Do you feel yeah. like you still can relate to them, or do you kind of feel um, it, it's kind of difficult for you to sing s- songs from maybe your earlier period of music? It's it's really funny, actually. It's in the in the past maybe three three to five years. Um, I I started to realize that I had songs that I wrote a decade beforehand that I still felt comfortable playing. Like when I was a teenager, you know, I had I had songs that I wrote when I was 18, 19 that I'm still playing and still relate to. And it's one of those things where it's both kind of a, oh my God, I'm so old that a decade ago I felt established enough creatively that I wrote things that I still think are good. And also like, oh God, why is there a part of me that still really relates to this overdramatic teenager that like lives inside of me at all times? Um, I think there are definitely, there are songs that are, I've grown past more and and playing them feels like, um, a meeting with a, a version of myself that I've managed to grow beyond, which I think is good because I definitely explore a lot of um, negative qualities of myself, I think, in my songwriting. But for instance, the song that you um, mentioned, I Hope the World Ends, uh, I still feel very connected to. And I think the only reason I haven't been able to play it as much recently is sort of pre-pandemic it was a very very overdramatic uh reaction it was like bad things keep happening in my life people i love keep dying well what if the whole world just exploded wouldn't that be better um but (laughs) it's felt since 2020 like we're closer to the world exploding than i think i felt in 2012 um so it both feels really fitting and also like a bit too much, a bit too real. Like it's, it now feels almost closer to a reasonable reaction because everything has become so outsized. I think, I don't know. It's, it's complicated, but I think the past few years, just as somebody who writes about death a lot, it's been, it's been a pretty, uh, it's been difficult to, touch on that in the same way that I think I used to yeah it's hard to just do it kind of in a in a like uh in an individualistic kind of way when it's uh 
there's a lot of societal things at the moment that yeah yeah relate to that um but I, if i was to say the um uh like genesis of like uh like like how you identify yourself would gay goth vibes and big feelings still be accurate <laughs> yeah okay and so i mean that's 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 good to hear in a lot of ways because uh, um a, a lot of people kind of want to hide any sort of feelings so dare i ask do you do you believe in love oh absolutely uh very very strongly in fact i would say it is in many ways the core of a lot of my beliefs mm -hmm. i think okay. it is like the driving force that i believe in the most and and struggle with and sometimes want to distance myself from but always come back to okay uh yeah good to hear as well um now, judging, I think, from what I just heard you and what I've seen many times, I, 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 it's fair to say you're a cat person. Uh, that's exactly <laughs> the thing. Yeah. Yes, both yeah. in who I live with and probably my personality. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm kind of, I'm a cat person at heart as well. Um, my, my wife's a bit more canine. Uh, so we have both. We have three cats and one dog, but, mm -hmm. um, um, I, I don't know if someone was to ask me uh, what attracts me to the feline itself as having as a companion. I'm, I'm not sure I can put it simply into words. It's almost kind of like a, an unspeakable thing, but I don't know. Is there something you can like say in a solid way, like what attracts you to the, the feline it's your, yourself? Yeah. I mean, part of it, I think is just familiarity. Of course I grew up having cats, but I think mm -hmm. as somebody who often needs space and can be sort of fiercely uh, independent and very protective of that space. I like that cats don't need you all the time. I sometimes actually feel a little socially exhausted by dogs. Like I feel like I've just did a really intense social engagement when I spend a lot of time with a dog, um, even though I adore them. Uh, mm -hmm. Cats, I like that they, they, they take their space when they want it and they communicate to you when they're done. When, right. when the interaction is over, they leave or they communicate very clearly with, in whatever physical manner that they're over. And I like the directness. Um, I know that my cat is not trying to please me. And so I don't have to worry about reading him. You know, I can sort of trust that he's going to do what he wants to do. And I find that very comforting. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that myself too. I, I, you know, um, you know, like we have one older cat, uh, black cat, who's about 13. And like, yeah, she'll say to me or my wife, like, you know, she'll meow right in our face, which means, you know, get down here and feed me, bitch, or something like that. You know, <laughs> they, 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 the honesty of them, I think, is definitely something else as well. Yeah. Now, am I correct in saying you do have, uh, uh, you, or at least you've delved into the Ouija board in your past? Is that a correct thing to say? Oh, when I was a kid, probably. Okay. Um, yeah. So it doesn't have much prevalence currently in your life then? No, it's it's one of those things that I think I feel um, I, I, I have the, the double-minded cynicism and superstition of because I both uh, logically look at it as, you know, a, essentially a Hasbro-owned 
board game. And also there's still a little part of me who is the like terrified palmistry book reading 11 year old who is very insistent that uh, I remember there was a, a, a recess when I was in middle school, seventh or eighth grade. And I had some acquaintances wrote out a Ouija board on a piece of printer paper, but they didn't put whatever option on there is supposed to release the spirit that they've summoned. And I was so insistent. I like talked to each of these people and I was like, you have to put this thing on that will release the spirit or they're going to, they're going to stick around and it's going to be really bad. Um, and I don't even really know where <laughs> that belief came from, except just being a weird little kid is kind of a mystical experience, I think, but mm -hmm. there's definitely still that part of it. Um, in a way that I don't know if I can fully let go of. Yeah, you you could be weird as a kid, and often if you're you're around the right people, be quite adored. So that's that's <laughs> the nice part of it. It's a bit it's a bit yeah. it's, it's, it's that period of it's quite yeah liberating. Mm -hmm. um, now, musically speaking, if uh, you've done a number of piano pieces or piano based songs mm -hmm. before, and I I one I really like is Sleep Alone. Mm -hmm. um, but how often do you turn to the piano? Is it natural for you to turn to the piano or is that maybe an exception and it's more like, say, the ukulele? Oh, I think in a lot of ways the piano is my home instrument. Mm -hmm. um, it's the first instrument I really learned. I started, I, I taught myself, I found a, there was a piano in my childhood home because uh, my dad was uh, interested in music. And so we had this old upright piano and I found in the piano bench, a beginner piano book. So I started to teach myself when I was quite young. Um, and I think it was the first instrument that I really learned how to express myself on. And it is still the one I think whose language I understand the best. Um, if, if you can have the somewhat haughty idea of having a relationship with an instrument, which I think I kind of do. Um, <laughs> It is something that I like. feel I can communicate pretty well with. Um, it's genuinely just usually more convenient to pick up the ukulele because it's small and I can have it, you know, at my bedside table or on my couch, whereas I have to go to the piano. So there is a deliberateness to it that I sometimes lack. But I uh, uh, just over a year ago, I was traveling with my girlfriend and we actually were at my childhood home just before it was being sold and my piano from when I was a kid was there from when I was a teenager and I played a couple things on it for her and she multiple times over the past year has remarked how different I, I seem to be when I'm playing the piano that it really sort of allows me the full expression of my music in a way that I just seem really comfortable and I f seem really one with it. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's, it's just a comfort. It's, it's been there for a, for a long time. And I think I do technically have more songs now written on the ukulele, but I have a, a special relationship with the piano, I think. Okay. Sounds like it could be actually a healthy thing to be on the piano. So the ukulele you're saying is, and I'm more done a lot for pragmatic reasons. It's small and carryable and, uh, you know, it's uh, obviously easier to get than acoustic guitar and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I do genuinely like it. I, I like mm -hmm. the, especially when, because I write so many songs that are 
so uh, intense. There is something really delightful to me about having these big booming uh, feeling songs and this plinky little instrument. I like the 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 um, contrast. I think that that goes mm-hmm. with that. But yeah, very much so. I have I have an entire EP that is all ukulele because I was living in an apartment with um, really thin walls. And it just mm-hmm. felt like the only instrument that I could actually play because it was quiet and small. Right. Now, another way you've been described is that uh, your songwriting has like raw honesty. And uh, <laughs> I think that's kind of a, an accurate thing to say. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> What about your relationship to rhythm? Because you have used it a bit with, uh, um, it's like it worked well, I think, on science. I remember listening to not too long ago's trade. So, um, oh, sure. Yeah, but I know it hasn't been used a lot, but I, I don't know. How do you feel about using rhythm at all? I think it's something I don't put a lot of conscious thought into. It's something I would like to put more conscious thought into, but I think it's very much a feeling that I have more than something I do on purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, I tend to listen to very rhythmic music. I listen to a lot of pop and I love to dance and that kind of thing. So I think if anything, it it probably comes from sort of my theater kid uh, roots of wanting uh, choreographable (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, melodies. But again, yeah, I'm not sure it's something I do on purpose it's just kind of built in okay um and um and it's, i guess one thing i sort of have wondered i i wonder about most people but i guess so uh, you included uh how do you feel like your sort of relationship is with uh social media i was reading about today these um high school students i think in new york somewhere or something where they kind of have taken with they describe kind of a Luddite kind of philosophy. They started a club. They will only accept flip phones or you should, or no phone at all. Well, and that kind of thing. Yes. That's quite, that's quite an impressive thing. I, I, but um, I don't know. How do you, uh, do you feel it's like something that's you, how you make a lot of at least to a certain level connections and you don't really aren't really phased by anything dark about it or do you feel like you've had a real sometimes it's been a bit of a harrowing experience i think i i i have a a slightly more positive relationship to social media than a lot of people i know i think Mm -hmm. which which i think comes from both my love of and distrust of it i i very heavily curate my online experience i only follow very specific people um on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. I I try to keep things as small as possible. Um, 
it is important to me. I, I tend to be a, a relatively isolated person and the, the majority of my social interaction at this point comes from the internet and, and honestly has for essentially the majority of my life, I think. So I do think it is important and it is important specifically to me, but I think it would be kind of absurd to pretend as if it is a neutral tool um, mm -hmm. because it's been used for a lot of evil and is absolutely on purpose, very addictive and tries to, uh, as somebody with ADHD, it is designed for brains like mine to uh, become habit forming. Mm -hmm. And I try to be aware of that as much as possible. I think it's a really difficult balance to strike and it's probably not one that I have successfully done and will sort of pendulum back and forth on, but I am not quite as cynical about it as I know a lot of people are, because I know there are quite a lot of people who like these flip phone, flip phone yeah. teens would, would see it uh, destroyed rather mm -hmm than not but i'm not quite there but i understand i, I understand it yeah it's it's i definitely can relate to their philosophy but i feel yes it's a, maybe we're too far past the post for that but uh <laughs> yeah yeah um now one experience i'm curious about that you were part of it was a, a bigger project it wasn't an individual thing but the uh puppet play uh called dark eyes by oh, yeah. naomi duvall that was like 2021 i believe i just wonder if you could say anything what was it like working in that because i believe you added music to it yeah that was a fantastic project um i it, it was really unexpected to me naomi reached out to me and asked if i wanted to be part of the um little team that was making music for for her production and absolutely not something i saw coming and it was um i mean it, it's all very colored by by the context that it was produced in right because it was the first time i'd been in a room with people essentially <laughs> um and it was since the pandemic started and it was um my first uh collaborative project in a really long time because of that um and so it it, it it would have been really special and fun no matter what, because it was just really exciting to be working with um, everybody I worked with who were all very capable and lovely people. But it definitely had the added shine of, you know, I remember walking home from the first rehearsal and being like, oh, art is good. Art is good and like life has value because you can create stuff with other people and it's good. I forgot. <laughs> Um, yeah. so it was, it's, it was a sort of whirlwind process with a lot of, you know, fairly, fairly quick production. And we pulled things together really quickly, um, in a way that was just mostly just really exciting. It was really right. fun. Yeah. It, I guess it's one of those few times you're able to sort of have a community kind of like project to be part of. And, yeah. uh, that's certainly yeah, I can see that adding something or you feeling really good about that. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard uh, speaking as personal experience myself too. It, it's hard doing everything solo. That's what yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now you, I see you recently, I think, sh uh, showed a, uh, 
fairly old picture of yourself wearing color. So I'm just curious <laughs> in a wardrobe sense, do you ever see yourself wearing color again or is black an important part of who you are and that is not going to change? It would take such effort at this point to sort of uh, transition back into the non-goth lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I I enjoy, um, as as it were, committing to the bit. I I really like sort of going above and beyond to do a do a joke or just overcommit to a concept, and. I like my style and I think it's fun. And I also think it is like a fun little inside joke with essentially myself uh, to just do it no matter what. Uh, So we'll see, like who knows um, what happens in, in the rest of my thirties, but considering I did sort of a, a relatively late in life uh, move into the, the full-time all black, everything sort of lifestyle. Um, it, it might be here to stay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that'd be totally fine. I, I'm actually <laughs> kind of curious speaking as a Gen Xer, because my wife really worships these two people. She claims she was goth herself once. Uh, as someone like uh, people from the past, like Robert Smith or Susie and the Banshees, they had any sort of, they had any sort of influence on you at all in that sense? Totally. Yeah. I mean, when I was a teenager, I dressed uh, very extravagantly, uh, and very colorfully. I was, you know, I mean, I was a teenager. I was, I was what, 14 in 2005. So I was wearing plaid skirts over jeans that I'd written all over. I would wear several shirts, weird accessories. I, I was just sort of a, a, a craft box. Um, but I, 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 because I was already a pretty emo kid despite mm-hmm. my appearance i think i i still did i worshiped at the altar of the cure of course uh for quite a while as a teen um and i i just didn't sartorially move to it at that time and i don't really know why except that i sort of had my thing going and i decided it was my thing um but they they definitely robert smith especially was a pretty foundational part of a foundational musician for me and i think it just bloomed much later than it does for other people. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, and I think you once described, you, I, I think it was a quest of some album of yours, but a uh, musical project of some sort of like, uh, you're finding new ways to get healed or be healed. But mm-hmm. uh, would you call that kind of like a permanent condition of life for most people in a lot of ways, though? Like healing, healing yes, is a permanent healing, condition. Or finding new ways to be healed. Because we're always in some ways, in maybe sometimes more than others, obviously, but we're always in some ways, parts of us may be broken, but so we're always finding yeah. something to, yeah. I think so. I think, you know, a lot of people, a huge amount of people, maybe everybody has to do some sort of work to heal wounds that have uh, been dealt to them, either specifically or just because we live in a very broken culture and system um so a lot of people have to do a lot of work to try and be their best within that um but i think ideally in a way you integrate healing for your whole life even if it's just the healing of like a muscle that you've been exercising you know like a muscle 
I have no idea how apocryphal this is or if it's how muscles actually work, but the the narrative of muscles getting bigger means they need to like tear and repair, right? That kind of thing. Um, So on a broad scale, I think because everybody can always be doing work to be better and to, to, you know, strengthen parts of themselves that are good, that means you're always healing because you're always working on it. Okay. Um, and I'm curious, is there any sort of individuals you credit with helping you the most with your music or has it totally been a solo project, but, uh, all the way, like there's people who've even people have just given you advice or shown you this or shown you that kind of thing. Sure. I mean, when it comes to production, it has really only been me, but, um, <laughs> My my lovely cat is trying so desperately to jump up on something and knocking everything down. I'm just going to move this notebook so that okay. she can get up with less casualties. Um, yeah, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I mean, the people in Peterborough, uh, Carl Garbage Face, mm-hmm. um, was really lovely. I think this just the the people I found in Peterborough who welcomed me into Peterborough's music community, even if they haven't given me direct music advice, I'd shout out Matt Jarvis as well, um, have been a huge influence on me because finding that community here was like genuinely life-changing for me. It was, and my relationship to music changed because I was in these communities. Um, so it was still, you know, ultimately me ending up alone in my bedroom or whatever recording stuff, but I think it would be silly to pretend that to to try and say that I actually did anything alone because I'm just an amalgam of <laughs> my cat, my cat specifically of of all of those those people that have helped me generally in the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got into this bad habit. Sorry, I was listening to what you're saying, but I got in this bad habit with my cat of like playing these. Uh, cat tv videos off youtube so <laughs> he always it's our youngest one so he always expects it yeah he loves he loves one especially with a lot of rooster sounds uh-huh. so a lot of people think i'm nuts but yeah, <laughs> but yeah yeah so yeah he's, he sometimes jumps up here but he's fortunately he's not here at the moment mm-hmm. um now a song from not too long ago i thought was was quite uh lovely but uh from earned is called it's called earned in 2020 um yeah. where i think you're saying you're finding new ways to be loved and strengthened by it um how did is that uh is that a song that uh like you had to sort of reach deep within yourself to compose or is it just uh it was just kind of like one of these experimental bedroom pieces that you put together and out right away it i don't know if i had to reach super deep I I was in a relationship with somebody um and I I I might be getting the order of things wrong but um Electric City Arts Mhm Arts um, Council yeah, yeah they they asked me to be part of their pride um event that year and I was in this relationship with this person, the first relationship I'd been in as an adult uh, that I'd been in for a very, very long time. And so I 
I didn't have to reach really deep because I had a lot of feelings on the surface um, mm -hmm. that were being dredged up that I was working on and working through um, in that time. And so when I was asked to be part of a pride event, um, it just felt very honest to me to be focused on um, this love um, and the expression of it as sort of a fundamental point of pride for me. Um, yeah, I, and it, it definitely does touch on on deeper feelings in that it is it it in the naming of like you know I'm learning how to love or whatever for the first time it carries with it the the implication of not knowing how to do that right mm -hmm. but it, it it felt there as I as I sat down to write it was it was just there and then it came out hmm. um and like on the other like what we were type at the beginning piloting the animal is that sometimes kind of uh an expression more like i know it's i know it's an experiment and it's kind of meant to you're free to have uh airs in the music but it's sometimes more of an expression of your dark fears of what you were just talking about of love itself i think so in 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 piloting the animal it tends to it's it's almost primal like the, mm -hmm. the feelings tend to be really unedited. I think that, you know, people you meet outside of bars has um, that unfiltered honesty, mm -hmm. but it is still curated. It, you know, mm -hmm. you, you have to curate your feelings to make them rhyme. That is not an inherent <laughs> yeah. quality of a feeling. Um, whereas piloting the animal is, I, I think often they end up being very panicked absolutely mm -hmm. expressions um and it's it's much more raw and so there is a lot of fear there i think i even have a i think i have a piloting the animal track on Bandcamp that is called my primary motivator is fear or something like that I, I... there's almost something like uh narcissistic in how often I have this total panic spiral that I'm like letting people down. Um, like the, uh, the assumption that people need me <laughs> as much as I'm worried they do and as much as I guess I want them to. Um, it's like the thing where, you know, if you have this horrible self-image, you have to in order to uh, maintain, I believe so. I think. I've yeah. Seen one like that. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I now go to your uh, long ago past when you were start, started becoming a musician. You had a name before people you meet outside of bars. I, I had a, I forget what it was, but it had a cute ring to it. Anyway, what was it called? It was uh, duckies are the best animal. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, that was, I, I, I mean, I was like a weird little hipster 17 year old who was, who was starting to put, um, uh, videos on YouTube and, mm -hmm. you know, it was 2008 or whatever. And so we were, it, it was of the time we were very quirky. <laughs> right. And 
do you think those would have gone differently? I mean, it's obviously a bit of a different uh, model and the big attraction of it is you don't have to have tons of followers to be suddenly a hot thing on it. But say you were able to do, say, 2008 was now and you were still under that pseudonym, would you, uh, like, do you think TikTok would have worked more to your advantage that way? Oh, God, probably, though I... I, I... <laughs> People you meet outside of bars is not like a less quirky name, really. It's it's just it's just a little uh, more edgy, I guess. But I have I did once have I wish I could remember who it was, but I had somebody uh, confess to me that they had seen around Peterborough posters for one of my shows that said people you meet outside of bars on it and they thought it was the name of an improv group um <laughs> rather than a band so i'm I've, i'm still playing in that area but i think that we've we've probably circled back around culturally where duckies are the best animal could could be a hit on tiktok again yeah oh it definitely could be yes but i think uh i would say people you meet outside of bars has a bit more of like a mature nuanced kind of uh feel to it um <laughs> it also can be like something i think i think you've said such a thing before where some of it has to do with like you being enamored or at least interested by cigarette connections you have outside of the bar you know yeah. that maybe people like who are non-smokers are missing out on you know like you can have really long conversations i assume in those yeah. sort of circumstances and get to know people really quick it was always it you know i i i don't smoke anymore but when i did it was absolutely mm -hmm. the way that i made friends at parties and we i would make these like one night stand friendships essentially mm -hmm. at bars you know you you meet somebody in the smoking pit and sort of bond in those 10 minutes that you're together and it just becomes this like weird relationship that is strangely intense because of the context that it's in you're just like fast friends and i think mm -hmm. I, I i was definitely very enamored of that weird task-based connection gadgets and distractions and things have sort of if not killed so much hindered our capacity for reading because I think mm. like you I really do want to read a lot and I try to there is uh I'm fortunate to have one job now that actually reading is part of it mm -hmm. uh it's not supposed to be but it, it kind of works with it but um but yeah uh overall it's kind of I just can't sit down and like singularly focus on one thing like I could when I was growing up when there was no like internet kind of thing. Like, uh, and I, I don't know if you could sort of relate to that. I don't know. I guess I'll start with this. Have you had any, is this past year, have you been able to like read much at all or still, or you still find that kind of a real challenge to do to devote time to and singularly focus on? Yeah, I mean it's it's still tough, but the the really funny I I have read more this year than I have in the past 5 
or maybe even 10, honestly, unfortunately, years. Mm-hmm. Um, and weirdly enough, the, the switch for me was the, the huge storm that we had here. I didn't yep. have power for a couple days, but I had my ebook, you know, my, my, my Kindle um, that held a charge. And mm-hmm. my, when my power came back, I still didn't have internet. Um, so I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer DVDs and I read for that entire like 48 72 hours whatever it was and it's like the part of my brain woke up i Mm -hmm. i i haven't done it as much as i want to but it was like a reminder oh you can do this and actually find it fulfilling i i have to i have to be a lot more forceful about it with myself i think when i was a kid it was just sort of my default hobby Mm -hmm. and at this point, I have to very purposefully set my phone on do not disturb. I often close my laptop or go to somewhere where it isn't. Um, and it is a bit of a struggle occasionally. And I do have days where my brain is just too scattered to make it work. But I've I've been doing better than I did before the storm. Yeah, <laughs> for okay. whatever well, reason. Glad that's one good thing that came out of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. It seems how appropriate to Buffy the Vampire. I could see that fitting <laughs> yeah. really well. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, and are you still in the same state where you find yourself listening to more podcasts than music? Yeah, absolutely. I um, Part of it is, again, just like stimulation levels. I, uh, uh, I find that podcasts just grab onto my brain a little bit more. There's a lot more to process, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and music lets my mind wander in a way. And when I've I've had such a, a difficult couple of years that I have often been in a place where I don't really want to let my mind wander because it will inevitably wander to somewhere like sad or anxious. Um, and so I'm, I've definitely been very committed to being distracted sort of most of the time which is much easier to do with a podcast because there's there's you have to work harder to follow um follow than music but i've been trying to shift the balance a little bit more because i think i've i've been in such a difficult place with my relationship to making music and i sort of had to sit down and have this conversation with myself this year where i mm-hmm. was like it it's silly to pretend that that isn't related you know it's it authors have to read musicians have to listen to music it's it's really silly to deny myself that and then be frustrated that i'm not connecting to music as well as i used to when i listened to music more so mm-hmm. i'm trying it's it's definitely a work in progress but i also just like podcasts podcasts are good <laughs> yes are they still like your favorite ones are they like these role play kind of podcasts that sort of thing Yes. Yeah, I okay. listen to a lot of people playing games and occasional comedy podcasts or narrative podcasts and that kind of thing. And it's it's only really in the past couple of months that as I've reached the end of a lot of the ones that I've been listening to a long time, I've been finally doing what everybody else does for podcasts, which is listen to like informational fact-based mm-hmm. <laughs> podcasts. It's been great. They're good. I see why everybody listens to them. I get it now. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I try to, I definitely still listen to music, but, uh, I guess if I picked what I, if I'm driving, if I have the choice of the two, I just, I always end up picking, there's these two I subscribe to. So I end up to, that just becomes sort of the natural 
choice, I guess, when I'm instead of music. So yeah, it's it's so habitual, right? You form yes. these habits, you don't even know you're forming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, just two, but perhaps uh, two last questions, but perhaps my most important ones. Uh, so, do you have any sort of? I don't want to get us in this New Year's resolution mood already, but do you have any upcoming plans musically? I guess. Like since you've since you've had this talk with yourself of getting back into it, but yeah, yeah. I mean, very vaguely, mm-hmm. I I struggled a lot. So in in 2016, I released an EP every month. I released 12 EPs that year. Yes, and that's then, quite impressive. Yeah, yeah, so, it was yeah. it was it was pretty dramatic. Yeah. And then I I released an album in 2017, 18, and 19. Mm-hmm. Um. And in 2020, it was really hard for me to admit that the year had been too difficult to do. And I feel like when I broke the streak, I mean, there's, there is a lot going on as I've I've sort of been alluding to, I've just been at a really weird place with Mm -hmm. people you meet outside of bars as a project. I had taken a break from playing shows and was just getting back into it in 2020 when everything happened. Um, And I, I think I needed time away from it on purpose to sort of reset my relationship with it. But I've been writing more the past couple of weeks than I have in ages, which is still not a lot, still not as much as I used to. Um, I'm trying not to push myself yet. I, I definitely am a person who works a lot better with um, deadlines Essentially, I like to have a project that needs to be done by a certain amount of time, uh, a certain time. But I'm I'm trying to not fall into that yet and just letting myself write, see what happens. Um, it's the 10-year anniversary of my first album at the end oh, of this wow. month. Okay. Yeah, yeah, which is wild. Mm-hmm. And I had been thinking late last year that maybe I would try to release something for the anniversary, but that just kind of hasn't happened. So I'm just, I'm just hoping I can get to starting to beginning to think about it properly in the new year, because I'm definitely at a much more positive place with art generally than I have been. Well, that's, that's good to hear. I, I, there's probably a lot of, um, I just think you're really a unique, uh, something unique who gives a lot of, uh, sort of, um, edge and kind of another voice to Peter Rose music scene. I mean, there, we have a lot of great musical artists, as you know, but, uh, I just feel like your, yours is quite unique and creative, both, both pile in the animal, animal and people you meet outside of bars. So thank you. Be good to hear from you again i if i i don't want this to be uh like a permanent term i think but at the moment i guess i think you're peterborough's ultimate bedroom pop artist so that's kind of <laughs> yes yeah yeah totally i yeah. um i'm very happy with that that as a label <laughs> okay that's good that's good um and what i since you've said you've kind of forced yourself back into listening again this year what have you been listening to in 2022 Oh, oh, pop, pop music, almost exclusively. Uh, Carly Rae Jepsen was my most played artist last year. And, and I've, I, it takes me a long time to get into something new. So I think I just have been taking the baby steps of listening to old 
comforts. And then I mm-hmm. listened to the new Carly Rae Jepsen album, big step yep. there. Um, <laughs> and just a lot of like easy stuff. I already know really well, Taylor Swift's reputation, which is a, not, not good. And also my favorite, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, it's, what are it's you not do? her best. No, yeah. no. So yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I, thanks to my daughter, I kind of, uh, I, there's no one I've seen in concert more than Taylor Swift. <laughs> and she forced me to be one of those suckers who was on Ticketmaster not too long ago to. Oh, you were part be, of the, uh, yes, the biggest yeah. news story. <laughs> yeah. Saying it's really just been listening to, uh, oldies but goodies to help you kind of get back in the kind of habit of listening you're saying yeah and i i think that i also have been really focused on sort of bubbly music because it it is something that um i i developed as like a brute force sort of coping strategy to being upset i i used to really lean into sad moods and listen to sad music and i think this year i was just like i have too much to do i have to go to work and deal with uh estate stuff for my recently deceased father i'm gonna put on the bassiest most dancey pop music that i can find um and i'm just gonna let it soak into my brain and see if it helps and it did (laughs) short term but it did um and i think my music like People you meet outside of bars and piloting the animal very rarely stray into <laughs> optimism or mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're really much more about like exercising negative feelings than they are. And I, and so I'm really fascinated by art that can celebrate joy because it feels so inaccessible to me. Um, and so I really, I like to listen to music that does that. Um, and I would love to be able to explore that at, at some point. Uh, I have no idea when that will be, but it would be nice. Okay. Yeah. Something like a change of minor to major chords kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, thank you for sharing your time with me. Uh, yes. I, it sounds like you have been through quite a lot this year and I, 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 I wish you all the best on the holidays and hope this, this uh upcoming year seems uh a little a little brighter anyway and thanks uh, yeah um, i really appreciate that yes um i yeah i really enjoyed speaking to you so thank you very much for your time then this was wonderful uh, yes okay I have nothing to say Well, that's a lie I'm thinking you don't even realize There are only two swatches of fabric Between our thighs I want a kiss without Thank you very much for staying with me with my conversation with Sada Cameron. It was actually quite delightful, so. And we're well under an hour, so that's not too bad, is it? 
I'm going to sound like a pleading uh, middle-aged man as I depart you today. Um, any subscribers, any new subscribers on Google, Spotify, or Apple, any recommendations those current subscribers can make to others, I'm highly, um, highly in debt to you, highly grateful, and I'll see you next time. So I'm trying to get some of the most interesting people in Peter Rodnogo's Juvenong on Corner of Hunter and George. See you next time.